here's our lead pastor, Guile Smith. Thanks. So we've got a special treat for you guys today. Um, as Anna said, I, I'm, I'm one of the pastors. Anna's one of the other pastors. We've got a team and we've got elders. We try to do a team leadership model so you see a lot of humans up here. Um, and today's a special day because how many of you guys remember Daniel Grothy? Yeah, about 50%. So Daniel uh, grew up in his teen and college years at Believer's Church. And, and, and so... Daniel has a lot of history. In fact, his parents were the interim pastors just before Roger took the helm in 2001, I believe it was. And so, and Daniel and I have logged many hours together. Um, I'm about 11 years older than Daniel. I met him when he was 12. And so we've been buddies ever since. And here's, so the message he's going to bring today, um, I'll just say this, and I'm flattering you a little bit, but I don't care. Um, Daniel's, Daniel's one of those, he's a very unique guy. Like if Daniel ran for president, I would vote for him. He's that kind of guy, right? He's like, what's, something's going to go on with Daniel. And Daniel, Daniel pastors up at New Life Church in Colorado Springs. He's one of their senior leaders there. He's been there for 17 years, maybe. Um, but it, I've watched Daniel, God is elevating him to really have a national voice. Um, and it's one of those things where you go, whoa, um, and I used to like be jealous of that, but now I just pray for people that have to endure that. <laughs> Seriously, it's not it's not necessarily fun. Um, but the message he's bringing today is, in my opinion, one that is really critical in the in, in particularly in Western Christianity. Um, that uh, he he wrote a book. It's called The Power of Place. It's coming out, and this is actually the first. It's coming out in a few weeks. Okay. I just, well, hallelujah, yes, Lord. We just got a, a box of a hundred of them shipped here today. My mom doesn't even have one yet. I have, I've only touched one copy, so this is like hot off the press. Yeah, so, so the, the, this is the first place he's actually preached on this message um, uh, out and about. But, but I'm, I'm just grateful for Daniel because here's the deal. You kind of wonder when you see books or things like this. Um, Okay, that's a good idea. Is he trying to advance his career? That kind of thing. I've lived this stuff with Daniel since he was 12 years old. I've seen it in his family. I've seen it in his parents. I've seen it in my life with him. And we've been through, we've been through some hard stuff together. And we've been through some crazy stuff, some very funny stories I could tell you over the years. So what I want you guys to hear is just oh, crack, let the Lord crack your heart open. To deliver what I think the Lord is is doing right now um, in, I believe, the American church, and we need to hear. So can we welcome Daniel Grothy? Good morning, Believer's Church. I love being here. Before this was Believer's Church, this used to be a place, and I, I think Andrew will remember this, this used to be a place called Name Brand Clothing. Anyone ever remember this when this, thank you, we got some other poor people here. We used to come here because we didn't have much money and, and name brand clothing was like the place where, you know, when there's a Super Bowl, they print champion t-shirts for both teams, but whoever, because you, you don't know who's going to win, whoever loses, they send the other shirts back to name brand clothing and sell them there. 
for reduced price because it actually didn't happen. So we would come here and buy really cheap clothing here at Name Brand Clothing. We were, we were, we were tight when we were young. I look back then, I didn't even really realize it, but now understanding. Uh, my mom, we got toilet papered one night, you know, four high school kids all kind of in the same house. And so about every weekend we were getting toilet papered. And we were, we were in a lean and mean time of life. Mom sent us out in the yard and said, God has provided, go collect all the toilet paper. God is my witness. We were out there at 1230 with dew on the toilet paper, taking it out of trees. So anyway, this this church, this city, this place, these people, you all have meant so much to me. I look around the room. I see the Cruz family. I honestly don't have a whole lot of memories without them in my life. The Nixes. Um, Smiths, Edens, Olsons, Peterson, Stubbs, Jobs. Brian, who was leading worship this morning, was leading worship when I was 14 years old in the youth group here. That was 25 years ago. Talk about faithful people. So to be here today is an absolute honor. And um, as we were worshiping, this is just on the side. As we were worshiping, I just heard the Lord say, the lampstand is burning bright here. There's oil in this house. And I, I'm in a lot of churches, and there's the lampstand is really dim, and there's not any oil. And so as an affirmation from the Spirit of the Lord today, you know, Revelation talks about the churches as the seven lampstands, that they aren't the light, but they broadcast the light of Jesus to the world. The lampstand is burning bright here, and there's, there's oil in this house. So good on you. Keep going. What I want to do today is pray and read this text, and then we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord out of Genesis chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, it's the first page. Simple discipleship. We'll start small here. Genesis chapter 1. I'll read it to you if you don't have it, and then we'll pray and jump in. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals. Notice how this is very creational, earthy, physical description here. He made mankind rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them, which is what he does. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground, then Genesis 2.15. And would you read this with me? Is it going to be up on the screen? Genesis 2.15, you can switch to the next slide. It wasn't in yellow. I'm sorry. I'll read it to you. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Can you say the garden? He put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. As simply as I can say it, it, it we've wasted our time if we've come here to hear a tricky talk. 
We've wasted our time if we've come here to be entertained. We've, we, we, we got out of bed. We got in the car. We brought our people to come here because we believe that you are the living God and you speak. So speak. Your servants are listening. And Lord, I pray for our hearts to be softened. I pray for every distraction to fade away. I pray for the clutter and the noise and all the stuff that threatens us from hearing. Lord, I pray that it would recede and that we would hear the voice of God thundering and speaking. So we say, may the words of our mouths, meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said... In the year 500 A.D., a man arose in Italy that changed the trajectory of the church, a man named Benedict. St. Benedict uh, called believers, Christians, monks, and ministers, and believers of all stripes, he called them to start taking vows again. The church had kind of fallen asleep at the wheel, as we are wont to do and so Benedict rises up and he says, hey, wake up, church. Wake up, church. It's time to take vows again. And he called them. Many of us would know and expect that he would call them to take vows of obedience to the Bible, like the scriptures, our book. He called them to take vows of, of charity with their money. He was saying, look, let's live open-hearted and open-handed with the world. God's been generous with us. Let's be generous with each other. So Vows of charity with our finances. He called them, of course, to take vows of chastity with our sexuality. You know, like your body is not your own. You're bought with a price. Like honor God with your body. Like stay faithful. Either stay celibate or stay faithful to one person. But you just can't run around. Like we understand that Benedict would have asked them to do this. But what most believers don't understand is that the first vow St. Benedict called believers to take was the vow of stability. Like, lead worship at a youth group 25 years before, and then be at that same place 25 years later when a bald 39-year-old shows back up. Like, be stable in place. The vow of stability. And the first vow that he asked them to take was to stay put, the vow of stability. So I want to ask the question, why did St. Benedict, why have the saints of old asked us to live lives of stability in place. I'll say three things today. The first thing is that through the vow of stability, God wants to give us a gift. We often think of God's command as God being this old crotchety curmudgeon in the sky who wants to just make life difficult and See if you can jump over the bar and jump through the hoop. And, and God's really trying to trip us up. And, and he's trying to really sift out the weak from the strong. And only the strong survive in the kingdom. That's not what God does with his commands. His commands are always given to us first as gift. I love you so much. Here you go. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Is not God being mad? Worship the Lord your God and serve him only is God blessing us with the gift of life because he knows that to do anything other than that is actually to lead to our destruction. So let me give you the gift of worship. God gives us this gift of stability as that first, a gift. And notice the first gift that God gives humankind in Scripture, we read it today, is the gift of place. And the Lord God took the man 
and he put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to take care of it. Here you go, Adam. Here you go, Eve. You actually have a place called home. And notice that the first curse in all of Scripture, Genesis 3, is the curse of placelessness. Being driven out of the garden into exile, to wander. Wait, we had this beautiful thing going on, a land flowing, the first land flowing with milk and honey, and there's green, and there's herbs, and there's trees, and there's birds, and there's, there's land, and there's water, and all the goodness, and all the benediction is there. And, and we, we try to take the story into our own hands, and the story, when we take it into our own hands, drives us out into placelessness, into wandering Exile. So notice on the first pages of Scripture, the first gift is the gift of place, and the first curse is placelessness. But what does place do for us? Some of you are like, okay, the vow of stability, place. What, what actually happens when we submit to this? I want to suggest three things happen. Place gives us first, it gives us security. Long before Abraham Maslow in 1943 wrote Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, that beautiful triangle of you know, how a wholesome life is built. Long before Maslow said that, we had philosophers and anthropologists and theologians who have been saying for thousands of years that a place to call home is foundational in the great quest of becoming. My little... My little kids, they're still in this like tender little beautiful age of innocence where they're living under the sacred canopy of our care. And they walk downstairs in the morning. And I, for, praise God that I'm able to say this. They don't wonder if there's going to be breakfast. And there's something about the safety of stability. Like, I just, I know my people, I know my place, and God has provided for us. And, and very the very first kind of, a uh, precognitive gift of place is the, the gift of security. I'm loved. The world is okay. Someone will feed me. Someone will rock me to sleep. Someone will pray for me. Someone will lay their hands up. Like the world is good and we discover that God is good and that the world is good when it's working rightly. We discover this through the gift of the security of place. The second gift that is given to us, the second thing that place gives us is identity. Identity. Is there any wonder that Peyton and Eli Manning became who they became growing up under Archie's care? 13 years in the NFL, they never knew a different life. Steph and Seth Curry grew up with Del Curry 16 years in the NBA, and now both of those boys are ballers. Why? That's just normal, right? They, they got an identity. Yulala, uh, 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 Malala Yousafzai in, in Pakistan, right? the youngest Nobel laureate winner. It's no wonder that she rose up to fight for women's rights to say, you know what, we can get an education. You can't stop us. Why? She grew up in Pakistan that would say, go lock yourself away and you can do nothing. You can't drive and you can't go to school. Place nurtures in us an identity. It makes us who we are. It kind of calls out of us what the world needs from us. Place nurtures identity in us. I remember meeting Guile at 12 years old. My dad was a worship leader at Victory here in town for 20 years before we came to Believer's Church. And uh, 27 years ago, I met Guile, and he was this monster drummer. He was 23, and I was 12, and just got married. And I was like, idolized this guy. And Guile taught me how to play. I, I grew up playing, but he coached me, and he helped, helped me learn to play to a metronome. And he would rebuke me when I would get off the metronome. And 
And, and, and he would feed me a meal after we would play. And he would loan out his drums to me and his cymbals to me. And he would give me all these great jazz albums to take home and study. And, and there's something, I got an identity in me. I'm, I come from David and Becky Grothy. I'm a musician. And now I've got this icon to look up to who's teaching me, who believes in me. And, and all of the, I used to sit back here behind this very same drum shield. I mean, this has got to be 25 years old, Guile. I'll give a gift to the church to get you a new drum shield. God have mercy. That's the same one, I promise. Exactly. So I'm this teenager learning to worship the Lord and learning to give my heart to Him. And I remember one time they made me lead worship for Believer's Church, like the entire church on a Sunday morning from behind the drum kit. I'm leading worship, singing a song. It was terrible. Burn those archives. But something in me at 12, 13, 14 years old, said, you are made to serve the people of God. You are a worship leader, Daniel. You are one who loves the scriptures. Daniel, you're a leader. Daniel, we're going to give you opportunities. Daniel, we're going to give you opportunities probably a year or two before you're ready, but this is how life in the kingdom of God works. Go. So I, I, the safety of this place, but also the identity that I, that I was nurtured in. And Believer's Church helped give this to me. And when place is working rightly, we come out of it knowing, you know what? God, you made me to tend this particular garden. And now I'm going to go do it and take dominion. And you've blessed me to do it. So place gives us security. Place gives us an identity. But place also gives us mastery. It helps us to acquire mastery in our craft. Some of my earliest sermons were in the Believer's Church youth group. And the youth pastor, Jason Jackson, and Brian leading worship, and John Egan leading worship, and all these different people, Roger, giving me opportunities. And I was able to develop my craft. And and you all know that place, when it's working rightly, it it helps us develop mastery. I love seeing men. I'm not the handiest guy you've ever been around. There's lots of stuff I can do. I can use my hands to to do other things, but I'm not going to, you know wire a house for electrical that's just not going to be me but i love seeing a young kid watch his dad do what he does or a young girl watch her mom do what she does and then they grow up and they carry that mastery forward into the world david as a shepherd in his father's fields he acquired mastery with his slingshot and a lion would come on the property and he'd and a bear would come on the property and he'd And so that when he stood in front of Goliath, this was just second nature. A lot of times people read that story and think it was a miracle. No, it wasn't. He was good with the slingshot. He had acquired mastery. He knew what to do in place. It gives us security. It gives us identity. And it it helps us acquire mastery. Tulsa, for me, was that great incubator of my identity. It gave me security. And it gave me the first chance to practice my craft and to grow in mastery. So the vow of stability, God wants to give us a gift, first thing. Second thing, why the vow of stability? Through the vow of stability, God wants to make us holy. God wants to make us holy. Our places and the people in them have a way of purifying us if we will let them. Because people are the great purifiers. We've, oh, the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that so precious? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Precious moments. No. 
The fruit of the Spirit is not worked out in isolation. They're not given to us as these gifts from heaven. The fruit of the Spirit is, is given to us and worked out when people are stupid. And when people are mean, and when people are bossy, and when people have idiosyncrasies and quirks and all the little things that rub against you like fingernails down a chalkboard, and in that situation you say, God, give me patience. Help me to love them because I don't, I don't really like them even. Lord, give me joy with my children late in the night when I've said to them, get in the bed 72 times and they're still walking around. Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and give me joy. Help me to be patient and kind and good and faithful, Lord. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be faithful. People are the great purifiers. And if we will stay faithful in place, God will make us holy. As iron sharpens iron. That's not a precious scene. So one person sharpens another. We just, we like make this like, oh, cute little men's groups. As I, no. <laughs> the clash of life with these people that are getting under my skin, who, by the way, you're getting under their skin too. And this is how God makes us holy. This is how God teaches us to turn the other cheek and to bless those who curse us and to pray for those who despitefully use us and to go the extra mile and to keep showing up in the same place. And if you'll do that year upon year and decade upon decade, you will show up looking like Victor Cruz with the joy of the Lord radiating through your face. And people everywhere for generations, for decades, have been blessed by this man and his entire family. Why? Because they have stayed faithful and God has purified them in this place and God has used them to be a blessing everywhere they go. Friends, if you will stay faithful, God will make you holy. We've stopped. We've stopped. We've got these two cultural trends that I want to point out to you. It's just important to sort of understand the moment in which we live. God's called us to stability in place, but we've got to know the moment in which we live. We have two cultural trends happening right now. First, we live in an age of wanderlust. Oh, I wonder what Austin's like. I hear they've got such a vibe down there. The scene is just, oh my gosh, and food trucks. They've got food trucks in Austin, and it's beautiful, and the weather is just so sexy, and I just want to be in Austin, and then if Austin doesn't work, I'll go to Los Angeles, and then I'll just kind of flip my way out to NYC because Manhattan, I mean, especially Williamsburg, it is unbelievable, and the lattes out there are $37, but they are the best lattes you've ever had in your life, and you can't own a car because there's no parking, and you have to make $300,000 a year to be considered poor, but let's go to Manhattan because it's amazing. And I'm going to discover who I am out there in the wild horizon. We are the first society in history to ever even experiment with this. We're the first society with deep enough pockets to even think that this is an option. But how's it working out for us? with the anxiety, with the loneliness. I'm not here to, listen, I'm not pointing any, I'm just saying, we have to ask, how is it working? We live in an age of wanderlust where the grass is, I just gotta go see. I've heard that it's greener and I need to, and I probably am gonna find that, I'm gonna find who I am. 
what if you can know who you are right where you are? And what if wherever you go, there you are? If you're running from something, it'll be there. We live in an age of wanderlust. Second thing is we have become pathologically conflict avoidant. We have stopped having face-to-face conversations and we have become keyboard warriors. I'm going to give it to them on Facebook tonight, baby. I'm going to post that meme and then that really chippy thing with a funny hashtag, just saying. And I'm going to change their hearts. It's discipleship, digital discipleship in the 21st century.com. We have stopped confronting one another. Uh, maybe we haven't stopped confronting one another, but we've done, what we've done is we've started confronting one, one another in a passive-aggressive abstraction that will never end in resolve. Facebook rants, sarcastic memes, political diatribes. We think we're taking a stand and we think we change, we're changing the world, but we're sitting in our echo chambers of animosity and it doesn't work. People are the great purifiers. The way God has made me a disciple is by making me move from on the other side of the keyboard and come sit face to face with someone that I don't like. And going into the meeting, my blood is racing and I'm anxious and I'm nervous and I've got all this adrenaline flushing my system and I've been having imaginary conversations and I think I kind of know how it's going to go and I've got my options. And then you sit down and then the Spirit of the Lord comes and you go, you know what? I'm sorry for being I'm sorry. I don't even know what went wrong, but can we please be well together? I love you. And I want to serve you, and I want to be like Jesus with and for you. When we can live this way, we become holy. You can't do this bouncing around regions of the world every two years trying to find your grass that's greener. But when you can stay faithful and stay plugged in and stay rooted and, 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 and have the hard conversations when you need to have the hard conversations and do it in the spirit of the Lord Jesus, you look up 10, 15, 20, 30 years later and you find yourself with eyes that are clean and hearts that are tender and relationships that are strong. I think we need a recovery of a new monasticism. Some of you hear that, you're like, monasticism? Well, I'm married. <laughs> Dad, gummit, pastor told me to get divorced. And no, 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 no. Use your imagination here. We can live like the monks. In this monastery here, I go and visit a couple times a year and spend a few days with friends. On their website, it says, we vow to remain all our life with our local community. We live together, we pray together, we work together, we relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself. And the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when, not if, And when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and restore peace because they're always right there. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, and forgiving. America would be healed today if we just tried to live that. 
I know what it's like to run or to want to run. When we left idyllic, beautiful, holy ground Tulsa, the safe incubator of my identity, and I felt so secure here, and I practiced mastery here, and, and I had so many people that I loved here and that surprisingly loved me and Lisa's family. They all were here, and we went to Colorado Springs 12 days after we got married in 05, and, and we left everyone, and it was, it was, there was some fun on the horizon. Let's go discover. We really felt God had called us, so let's go see it. But there was deep heartache. And for two years, every Sunday, my wife would sit on the couch and sob because we weren't watching football and having barbecue with her family who was all here having barbecue and watching football. We would lay our heads on the pillow and go, what have we done? And and then life got really hard at our church. I've, I've shared just briefly here. Some of you will know this, but just hang with me. We, when I got there, we were riding high. Our pastor was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, 30 million member group. Whoa. We were doing press conferences in Washington, D.C., and Mel Gibson flew in on a private jet to release the Passion of the Christ to 3,000 pastors that were at our church for our conference. And George W. Bush Skyped into our, pre- our pastor's conference as the president. It, we were... And then our senior pastor had a moral failure and it was scandal and heartbreak and loss and 35% of our church left. 13 months later, we'd just gotten a new pastor and 100th day on the job, we're there on a Sunday morning. Dr. Jack Kayford had just preached a beautiful message. It's one o'clock, we're checking kids out in the hallway and all of a sudden we hear the worst sound you could ever imagine, which is ba 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 and a shooter came on our campus. AR-15, 1,000 rounds of ammo, killed two girls, and then took his life in our children's hallway. And then our phone started ringing. Oh, baby, we just come on back to Tulsa. We love you. We're so sorry. It's been a hard two years. And, and it was all beautiful. It was all, it was all well-intended. And I think my wife could have been talked into it. But something in us in that moment, the, like the grass is greener in Tulsa, or the grass is greener in L.A., or the grass is greener. We, our friends were calling because they loved us and they wanted us to be well. But something in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's the best I can say, it, this holy defiance rose up in us that said, we, we can't leave now. This, our church needs pastors more than ever right now. And so we dug in there and we, and we were $26.5 million in debt. And then 2008, a, a great recession all over. I mean, we fired 44 people overnight. When I tell you it was an absolute you-know-what storm, it was a storm. And we wanted to leave and it would have been so much easier. But the Spirit of the Lord purified us through those five years of walking through the valley of the shadow of death and we weren't sure if we would go back home after church alive we were scared we were terrified but i look back on those years and i think that's those are the years where god makes saints those are the years where god strips you back down to yes (laughs) where god burns all of the chaff of your cheap christianity Friends, I'm telling you, the gift of place, it's a gift. And if you will submit to the gift of place and receive it, God will also make you holy. He'll bring you back. We're in need of the recovery of a new monasticism. The third thing that I want to say is that through the vow of stability, God will use us to re-family 
the world. What do we all want? We genuinely don't want more money. We may say, we may think we want more money. You know what we want? I love you. We want aunties and uncles that aren't actual blood relatives to be like our family. We want to experience heaven on earth. And heaven on earth is every tribe, tongue, and nation, and people group, and every political affiliation, and every socioeconomic barrier to be broken down so that we come together sharing the same blood of Jesus Christ. One nation, one tribe, one tongue, one people group, one family. And we are living in the the loneliest, I, I just can't imagine a lonelier age. Hiding behind our screens, we're the most technologically savvy, and maybe the most relationally bankrupt. And you may not live near your biological... I live in Colorado Springs now. The Lord moved me. And sometimes the Lord will move you. I'm not romanticizing place. But what I'm saying is wherever you go, if you will live the vow of stability, you will find people like Guile and Kelly Smith and like the Cruises and like the Jobs who would do anything for you at the drop of a hat and who I would do anything for at the drop of a hat. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ runs thicker than our own biological bloodline. When we live the vow of stability, we become a family for the world that the lonely and the heartbroken can come into. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 68, a father to the fatherless. God is a defender of widows. This is who he is in his holy dwelling. And God sets the lonely into families. You cannot have a family if everyone's always moving in two-year cycles. And we live in an age that has muscle memory for up and moving, even if we're in the same place. We just got to keep moving. And so here today, what I'm saying is God will set the lonely in, in Tulsa into this family as you continue to live and be this faithful group. And, and, and the original title of this book, The Power of Place that I've got out here, uh, the original title was supposed to be Try to Die There. My publisher didn't think that was good. But I want you to carry that phrase with you. Here you are, try to die here. Try to live a long obedience in the same direction with these same saints. Try to put your life right here and let your roots, and some of you got 20 years of roots just, and you're flourishing here, and people are finding shade under your tree. But as we live this vow of stability, we will re-family the world. Last story. Guile sent me this book years ago as I was researching this, and he goes, hey, you need to read this, and I read it, and it's brilliant. Tells the story of this pastor, Bob Beckett, out in Hemet, California. And Hemet is not exactly, uh, you know, a destination for a bunch of people. San Jacinto Valley, the economy had moved on. and he, But he'd graduated his seminary years and he had a bunch of debt. And he had to get in at an entry-level position. And so he's telling on himself, I got to this church. I knew I wasn't going to be there. I hated it. No one there was interesting to me. The economy had tanked, but I needed a job, and I've got to start paying off my student loans. So, okay, Lord. 
But he was living with the clock ticking, looking for that next beautiful opportunity. Because I am special, and the world's going to know about it, and surely my phone's going to ring. And two years in, he, could, he just said, I didn't feel like I had any authority in this church. I wonder why. Okay, it's three years, I'll, uh, but my clock is ticking. And Father, I thank you that your favor is going to come on me and you're going to open up an opportunity and I'm going to be blessed and highly favored. I'm going to make more money. Checks are going to come in the mail. And he said, year three, I didn't have any authority in my church. And I can't figure out why that people are fighting and no one's getting saved and no one's getting baptized. But I've been trained and I've read all the books and I know what to do. But why is the kingdom of God just feel bottlenecked among us? And he said, one day in prayer, the Lord said to me, go buy your burial plots. But Lord, you haven't blessed me and made me highly favored and taken me to that wonderful job that's going to pay my... He said, go buy your burial plots. He said, the Lord just kept saying it. I, I took it into day two of prayer. And finally, I told my wife, yesterday the Lord said it. And this morning, the Lord said it. And I think we're supposed to go to the local cemetery and buy our burial plots. And so year four of being in this God-forsaken place that they hated, they went to the cemetery and bought their burial plots. And he said, in a day, the spiritual authority shifted. And he said, I could cast out demons and I could bind and loose the devil. And people who were fighting started to be put back together. And he said, we would worship and the glory of the Lord would come. And people started getting baptized. And people started walking into our buildings on Tuesdays when we weren't even having church with tears in their eyes saying, something told me I needed to come here. And he said, I bought my burial plot with my wife, two burial plots in Hemet, California. And the entire atmosphere shifted. And in this book that Guile had me read, Dr. Charles Kraft said there's a direct relationship between the commitment of a pastor or any leader or any human and the authority that he or she wields in the spirit world. Pastors who are committed to something other than their churches are vulnerable to enemy influence. Those serving the church, their primary commitment may really be to their own advancement or something else such as money, prestige, or an easy life. We cannot expect the spirit world to take them seriously when they assert their authority over the church and the people that they purport to serve. We cannot expect the spirit world to take them seriously. Friends, you want the spirit world to take you seriously, take where you are seriously. Take the friendships that you have seriously. If you're married, take your marriage seriously. If you're a member of this church, sink your, just try to die here. Try to pray for the same people and try to bless their children and try to serve and go on missions with Victor and change the world. And if we will do this, friends, you'll find the gift of place. You'll find that you've been made holy in and through this place and the people in this place. And you will re-family the world right here in this place. So find your roots, find your place, find your people, and try to die here. Can I pray over you? Lord, thank you. First, I want to say thank you for the way this church has made me who I am. Thank you, Lord, for dreaming of Believer's Church. Thank you, Lord, for 
every gift and every moment and every prayer and every service and every sacrificial gift and every baptism and every marriage and every funeral. And every mundane Monday here at Believer's Church, all these years, Lord, thank you for this place. And I pray that you would indeed refamily the world through Believer's Church. Lord, we call the lonely of Tulsa to Believer's Church. We call the anxious of Tulsa into Believer's Church. And we call those people who are so drunk on tribalism into Believer's Church so that they can start worshiping the one Lamb who was slain around whose throne every tribe and tongue and nation and people group gathers. We call. We call people home. So many people are anesthetized with their deep pockets. They have enough money to think that they're okay, but deep down when they lay their head on the pillow, they know they're not. And I pray that you would call them home to here, here at Believer's Church. Lord, we pray for widows and orphans and the lonely and the lost and the hurting and the heartbroken and the drug addict and the rich executive. Everyone, come home here. Refamily the world through this place. I pray that there would be a special anointing, a special grace on this place that when people walk in, they would feel at home. So, Lord, for my friends, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your countenance upon them and grant them peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's thank Daniel for this word. Thank you. I'm sure that you can sense the presence of the Holy Spirit, the, the power of the Lord. And these words that are lived, not just theory. Um, and so, what's so cool is anytime you're in any community, not just believers, church, many, you're stepping into a river of history that precedes you and is going to be after you. And the beauty of that is that's safe. And so, if there's anybody here today that you haven't said, I'm stepping into this family, maybe, maybe you feel like you're afraid. It, that we're going to be weird or something. We are weird yep. <laughs> and annoying and beautiful. And beautiful. Just staying in the room together to let our brokenness show to one another, realizing it's safe to be a human and that Jesus is setting us right. So we invite you to put your trust into Jesus and come be part of His family. If you'd like to do that afterwards, I'm up here. We'll have a couple folks up here. I'd love to pray with you about that. One of the things that we like to do, Daniel, um, is we want to, in Romans 1, it talks about when Paul wanted to go to Rome and give him a blessing, but also receive a blessing. So we're going to bless Daniel now. So let's all stand together. And one of the things we kind of stumbled on, Daniel, in, uh, when I was in South Korea, out with Don Moen, um, it was, it's traditional in South Korean church environments to sing a blessing over guests and so we're going to do that right now and some of you while we're singing this you may have actual prayers that you, that the holy spirit gives you so i want you to pray them you can pray them out loud you pray them quietly but the thing is 
But this guy is running at a pace that I'm honestly a little worried about because he's so darn talented. Everybody wants him. He's going from this to like a national conference on a Zoom call in John Free's office, <laughs> you know, and then he's doing a wedding in Tulsa and then flying home. And so um, the guy's busy. So I just want us to bless him that he'd be like, he just gets a big breath here. So we're going to sing that song, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine on you. And if you have a prayer, just pray it out loud as Sam leads us in the song. Let's sing it loudly over Daniel. Good job, guys. That's beautiful. Right outside the door is this book, Power of Place. First time anywhere on the planet it can be bought. Uh, Daniel's selling for $10 off. I actually think this is essential to our discipleship, guys. Uh, I don't think it's just an extra to put in your back pocket. So just $15. I'd love it if he ran out of books on the way. Um, out of here. We're taking care of him. He doesn't need the money. Well, I guess he could probably use the money, I suppose. But, but it's essential stuff for our discipleship. So grab a book on your way out. Love you guys. Have a great week. If you want some prayer, we'll be up here.